Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 71 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? Hope you're having a fantastic week. And if it is your first time here, this is a show about creating an extraordinary life. So what does that mean? I hear you asking. Very good question. An extraordinary life is any life that is uh, more than ordinary. And so for me, that has traditionally been having a business and a mission that is bigger than yourself, something that helps you get pulled forward, gets you out of bed in the morning, keeps you motivated, and is some kind of contribution back to the world. Having a business and a mission that pulls you forward. It's deepening the love and connection with the people that mean most to you in the world. It's uh, having more excitement and adventure in your life on a day-to-day basis. So you wake up feeling excited and really happy about your life. And it's also about having a deep sense of inner peace. So no matter what happens externally in your business, in your relationships, that you feel a deep sense of self-worth, self-love, and a sense of contentment and fulfillment. So those are the four main categories for living an extraordinary life. And This podcast is all about that. It's about helping you guys have a place where you can come and learn. It's about a place where you can ask questions of me. You can share comments. And occasionally we have some pretty cool guests on here that have created extraordinary lives of their own. So they come on here and they tell a few stories, spin a few yarns, and teach you one or two things about living an extraordinary life. So a number of ways that I help people create extraordinary life, there's uh, a few ways in my business that I do it. Uh, The first one is I work uh, one-on-one with people and generally they are people that are entrepreneurs or they are high achievers in their career and they're looking to move into business or looking into doing something more meaningful, something that's more on track with their mission, with their purpose, with their calling, with their dharma, whatever you want to call it. And so I help people transition into that and then make it very, very successful. And that's the most common way that people work with me. And we usually work together for a year. And it's very deep work. Uh, I help you dig deep inside of yourself and find out what your genius is, what you do better than anybody else, what your calling is, how you want to set up your extraordinary life, what it might look like, and then start moving step by step towards that week on week. And we cover everything. We do like a full inventory of your life, all your relationships, your finances, your health and fitness, all those things that you've been trying to achieve for years and years and years, but uh, have still eluded you. And working one-on-one with me, we get to dive into that every week. And so I'm your partner uh, for the whole journey, usually for a year or so. The second thing is I see a lot of people that miss connection in their lives. And especially when you're starting out on your entrepreneurial journey, when you may have left your career or running your own business from home, it can be hard to find a lot of people that doing something similar. So it can be quite a lonely journey. So one of the things that I've grown over the last year is the Extraordinary Life community. And at the moment, we have about 25 members of the community. We meet twice a month. We have a 90-minute group call where everybody can connect with each other. And that's a like-minded community, people that are just like you, that are looking to create their own extraordinary life and, and make more of a difference in the world. And they're from all over the world. They interact with each other in between calls. So they have a real sense of community. And our intention there is to support one another in creating our own extraordinary lives, whatever that may be. And it's very, very powerful to have that community on your side. 
the third thing is I take people on adventures around the world. So usually I partner with another coach and we head off around the world and do some amazing adventure that not only is a once in a lifetime experience for you, but it also helps you develop your own leadership. It forces you to be outside of your comfort zone, to confront certain things, to uh, challenge yourself. And usually it's me and another coach that are alongside you in that journey to help you develop those things. So those are the three ways that I help people create an extraordinary life, as well as this beautiful show where it doesn't matter where you're at on your journey, you get to tune in, hang out with me, and we get to talk about these kind of topics for an hour a week. So I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Let me know what you're up to. Let me know where you are. Let me know what you're uh, thinking about. If you have any questions for me for today, let me know, and I'll do my best to answer those. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast, then you can join the Nathan Seawood Show Facebook page at any time and come and watch live every week and drop your questions directly. So some feedback from last week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 70. It was very, very fun and it was uh, quite vulnerable. I was reviewing my 2018 and it was nice to have you guys there. It was nice to have you join me and ask questions. Some comments from the show last week. Joe Hodson said that I can relate to fear of failure. For me, it's a deep-seated fear of disappointment. Mm, thank you, Joe. Thank you for commenting and thank you for uh, for watching the show. Yeah, we talked a lot last week about fear of failure. About For me, I was talking about what holds me back a lot is the fear of you know embarrassment or putting out a, a new product or a new service and then having nobody be interested in it or nobody buy it and how that kind of holds me back in a lot of ways. And what Joe's saying is that for her, it's this deep-seated fear of uh, disappointment. And you might relate to that. You might have a fear of disappointment because it's pretty common and I hear it a lot in my clients. So the thing is when you feel that fear of disappointment, one way to go about it is to really close your eyes and tap into it and really feel what exactly that fear is. Because what is disappointment? What is disappointment? when you really think about it. It's either you're worried about disappointing somebody or you're worried about disappointing yourself. And we can only feel disappointed if there is an expectation of on us or of how we think things might go. So disappointment is really an illusion because it's not real. All you're doing out there is going through your life, putting your best foot forward, trying new things, And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. The only reason we would feel disappointment is if we had an expectation about how it would go. Does that make sense? So if we're attached to some kind of outcome of how we think it should be, then if it doesn't happen exactly that way, then we may have this feeling that we call disappointment. And it's also, if we look at, you know, usually our parents, we have a fear of disappointing our parents. You know, I read in a book uh, not so long ago that for men, I don't know if it's the same for women, you can tell me, but for men... Uh, when their fathers pass away, they feel sad, but they also feel a little bit of relief because that fear of disappointment goes away, you know, that we have around our parents. And sometimes it's good to check in with that. So instead of just assuming that our parents might be disappointed in us, we check in with them and we ask them, hey, you know, I failed here or I feel like I failed here or I'm thinking about trying this. Would you be disappointed if it didn't work out? Sometimes it's yes, a lot of times it's no and we've just made up this disappointment in our heads. So thank you, Joe. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for that point. 
Uh, Holly Couch said, uh, income and self-worth is a big one for me. So another topic we touched on last week was how sometimes when we're in business or when we're starting out in business, a lot of times we attach our self-worth to the results in our business or how much money we earn. I know I do this and it's still uh, a challenge for me. But what can we learn from that? Uh, And thank you for sharing, Holly, and thank you for commenting. I mean, our income is just a number. It's just a representation of the value that we've provided. So it's got nothing to do with who you are. It's nothing to do with your being as a person. It's just simply a reflection of the amount of value that you've brought into the world and your business. So if you want to earn more money, you have to find ways to bring more value. And I read a quote from Brene Brown this week that said, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but basically when you wake up in the morning, before you do anything, and no matter what happens in your business or your life during that day, know that you're enough. So at your core, you're enough before anything else happens. Before you even try and attempt to do anything, realize that you're enough. And it doesn't matter what results you achieve during the day, realize that you're enough. And so separating ourselves from our business and our income and realizing that those are just metrics, those are just uh, representations of the value we provide, and uh, they're just a scoreboard in terms of our business that we use to, to measure certain things. But separating it from our own self-worth is a big thing. So thank you, Holly, and thank you for sharing that. Tim Snell said, uh, I think many of us are afraid of failure. It keeps many of us trapped and not taking chances. I learned that failing fast is a good way to learn. Yeah, so thank you, Tim. And Tim is a man and he's from London. He's actually from Australia, but he lives in London and he's a very nice man. And I thank him for making this comment last week. So many people are afraid of failure and it keeps them trapped and not taking chances. Yeah, that's right. And this is very, very common. And unfortunately, I would say this is uh, the majority of people. The majority of people would love to live an extraordinary life. They would love to probably work for themselves. They'd love to earn more money. They'd love to spend more time with their family. But for the reason that Tim said, most people are paralyzed by fear and it stops you from taking chances. So there's a couple of ways we can look at this. The first one is to say that sometimes it's helpful. I'll take my clients through a worst case scenario. So let's say you're working in a job and you want to get into your own business. Then you probably have some fear come up. Have a think about the fear and write out all the extremes that could happen in that fear of failure. So, you know, I quit my job and then I start my business and then nobody wants to buy anything from me. And so then I run out of money. And so then I have to sell my home and then I have to move back with my parents and then I have to go and beg for my old job back and then I have to start again. And what you'll find is that this fear, this fear of failure really only lives in the dark. It lives in the shadows. It only has its power when we don't speak it out. So if you actually work through that fear and the thing you're most scared of and you run it all the way out to its scariest conclusion, you might start to notice that it doesn't actually have as much power over you than you think it does. And so that can be a powerful exercise. If you find yourself paralyzed by fear or not wanting to try something out, consider the worst case scenario and then just sit with it and think, man, if that's the worst case scenario, could I deal with it? And for most of us, the answer is yes. Although it's a scary prospect and it feels challenging and it's going to require a lot from us, that we most likely can be with that fear. 
And Mark Silverman's watching. Hi, Mark. Mark's one of my great friends from Washington, another fantastic coach. And he said, love that I did it for myself. That's right. I can speak from experience. So I had a 16-year career as a pilot that was very, very successful. And then I was earning a lot of money. I was at the top of my game. And right when I was at the top of my game, I decided to leave. And Mark was right there holding my hand because I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear just before I left my job. Am I making the right decision? What if I run out of money? Blah, 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 blah. And Mark helped uh, get me through this process by doing exactly what I'm talking to you about. So thank you, Mark. Thank you for being there. Yeah, Tim also said, I learned that failing fast is a good way to learn. Yeah, so there's, uh, again, there's a couple of ways to look at this. So, you know, failure in itself is, you know, that's a, uh, that's a belief system. So uh, the way I try to look at things, and it doesn't always work, is by thinking there is only outcomes. There's no success or failure. There's only outcomes. And so if I try something and then I'll get an outcome, that outcome might be I don't get any clients. And so at that point, uh, does it feel shitty? Yes. Do I feel a bit upset about it? Yes. Am I a bit angry about it? Yes. Do I get annoyed at myself in that moment? Yes. Uh, Those are all normal feelings. But the idea is to go, okay, that's an outcome. It didn't work the way I wanted it. How can I try again? and change a few things to get a different outcome. So failure feels very heavy. Outcome feels like something that's still in our control. So it's another good way to look at it. So thank you for sharing, guys. I love having your uh, comments on the show, and I love being able to uh, share your comments with everybody. So please keep sharing. You can also subscribe to the show if you want to listen to the audio version of this. You can subscribe on iTunes, you can subscribe on Spotify, or you can subscribe on Overcast. And... Let's dive into today's topic. So I just asked on Facebook earlier what people wanted to talk about and they gave me a couple of things and that was nice. Since we spoke last week, I've gotten back into coaching and oh boy, I feel a little bit rusty. It's been a few weeks since uh, I've been into, you know, deep into coaching. Normally I have a pretty full practice and I've taken quite a few weeks off, like I told you, to have some downtime and spend time with my family. And so the last uh, week or so, I've been starting to get in touch with people, uh, speaking to people that are interested in coaching with me and, you know, figuring out what their visions are and what they want to create in their extraordinary life, which is fun. But I notice I'm a little bit rusty. And the more I do it and the more I'm in conversation, the more I feel better and more confident, which feels good. And this week, I feel on top of my game and getting some good results for people. So let's dive into some of the questions that came through. Uh, the first one was from Jessica Banks. And hi, Jessica. Jessica is a woman and she is from America. And America is a place that is on the other side of the Pacific from here. And it's a nice place and I go there a lot. And Jessica says, I met Jessica at a thing called an Evercoach Summit. And there's a personal development company called Mind Valley, and they have a coaching division called Evercoach. And they do a little a little conference every year. And I met Jessica there. And I actually, that, that year, that was 2016. And that year I got coached by Rich Litvin from the stage. And we were just talking about, you know, how I gave up flying. I remember asking Rich the question, you know, should I stay as a pilot or should I become a full-time coach? And that was, uh, that was September 16. And so I was still thinking about that. And Jessica who's about to ask this question, was on the stage with Rich and Rich was talking to me out in the audience. I was telling him this, my dilemma. And Rich said, does anybody have a coin? And someone had a coin. And he said, Nathan, we're just going to flip a coin 
to figure out whether you should continue your career as an airline pilot or whether you should quit and become a full-time coach. And so the whole crowd went quiet. It was a very tense moment because everybody could tell how important it was to me. And so then somebody flipped the coin and turned it over and put it on the back of their hand. Again, the whole crowd was silent. And everybody was staring at me. There was a couple of hundred people there. And Rich said, Nathan, what do you feel in this moment? And I said, I would be devastated if it said that I had to stay flying. That was the feeling I was having at that moment. It was the feeling in my chest. It was the feeling in my stomach. Uh, I wanted the coin to make that decision for me. And so Rich said, well, we don't even need to look at the coin because oftentimes we think we don't know the answer, but when we're put under pressure, we really do. We really know what we want. And that exercise is one good way to prove it. And Jessica was there that day. And I'm glad that she's tuning in and that she's asking me questions because she's been on this journey with me. Um, But Jessica asked a couple of questions, but she said, first of all, how am I able to live my best life every day? So she was asking that to me, how are you able to live your best life every day? And I had to um, stop and think about that question because sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm living my best life every day. So maybe that's what you see or maybe that's what you experience on social media. But for me, it doesn't always feel like I'm living my best life every day. Just so you know, so I want to be transparent about that. I'm always doing my best, but (laughs) every day doesn't look like my best life. But I do have some strategies to get myself in the right space or to give myself the best chance. And the first one is I have a very uh, set morning routine. So I wake up in the morning, I have an app called Sleep Cycle that measures my sleep. It wakes me up within half an hour of the optimum time. I have a glass of water. I jump in the shower, usually a cold shower if it's, um, you know, if I have a place that has a good cold shower. Brush my teeth, then I go back, I'll meditate 20 minutes to an hour, depending on what I'm feeling. I use a mixture of guided meditations and just sitting with myself. From there, I'll go and do some journaling, then I'll make a coffee, and then I'll start my day. And so what that means is that I am not just hitting the day by chance. You know, what I notice is when I wake up and just hit the day without doing any routine, you know, I could be shitty, I could be overthinking something, I could have had a bad dream, I could be stewing on something from the night before. And if I just roll into the day, then I don't necessarily have a chance to to overcome those things. Whereas if I follow this morning routine, it allows me to process everything, uh, let everything come through me, write it out in my journal and then be clear so I can start the day as a clear channel. And I notice that when I do that, my life works better. So it doesn't necessarily mean that my life is perfect or I have no challenges when I do that. It just means that my life works better is what I notice. Things are more easy to manage. My stress is lower. My anxiety is lower. And I'm able to tolerate things that maybe would trouble me if I hadn't done that. So that's the first thing. I have a really strong morning routine. And I've been doing that morning routine now for probably four years. You know, I've obviously off days, but pretty much the same morning routine for four years because it works so well for me. The second part is, you know, I have a lot of support. I have a lot of support. Am I able to live my best life every day? I have a lot of support. I have an amazing coach and she keeps me accountable. And she, you know, she checked in with me with a message this morning. Some stuff came up. I'm able to message her. So I don't try and do it on my own. And maybe we can't all have a coach, but you know there is usually a coach out there for everyone that's been through what you've been through, that knows your situation, that fits within your budget and your price range. 
And, you know, it's such a big lesson to stop doing everything on your own. Learn how to ask for support. Learn how to, you know, if I have a bad day, instead of just staying in my shit (laughs) and letting it spiral into something worse, I can reach out to friends, to family or to my coach and say, hey, I don't want to do this on my own. I'm struggling and I need help. And, you know, those are the secrets to help you live your best life every day. Uh, Over to Instagram. Hi, Di. Thanks for the wave. Nice to see you. Ask a question if there's something you want to uh, you want to ask. Uh, Jessica, I hope that helps you. you. You also put underneath that question, you said, how do you find your calling and then make a living from it? Well, that's easy. You just find it and then you ask people for money. How hard could it be? Uh, no, I'm joking. It's, uh, yeah, it can be challenging. Of course it could be challenging. And I think there's been this proliferation of follow your passion, follow your bliss. If you can just find your calling, then everything will be easy and you can just make millions doing what you love. And that is not necessarily the truth, or it's not all of the truth. Is the preference to find something that you love and is, you know, a calling? And I I consider a calling something that, you know, is true to your essence. So if we stripped away all of your limiting beliefs and we stripped away all of your bad habits and we stripped away all of the conditioning from your parents and the social conditioning, uh, the true essence of who you are was here for a reason. Your dharma, your purpose, the the reason you were put on this earth. And if we can tap into that, you'll notice that that feels like a calling. It feels like you were predestined. There was nothing else that you could possibly do but take on that dharma or that calling. And a lot of people will say that they don't know what their calling is. They don't know what their purpose is. They can't tap into it. Consider that that's just your mind getting in the way again. You know, consider that that's just another mechanism that your ego uses to stop you from, from going after, you know, what's true to you. Just try that on for a little bit. Because the majority of people I talk to, although they maybe don't know how to put it into practice or they don't know what it looks like to do that or they don't know how to make money from it, they generally know what they're here to do. And they generally know what area they most want to serve in, whether it's kids or, you know, whatever, lots of different ways. But if you really tap into it, I'm pretty sure that you know what your purpose or your calling is, even if you sometimes pretend that you don't. And then Jessica says, how do you uh, make a living from it? So again, a couple of ways we can look at this. Making a living from something is super uninspiring to me. (laughs) The amount of people I have that get on calls with me and they say, I don't really care about money. I just want to have enough to pay my bills. Well, that is uninspiring. That is not exciting. And that is not going to have you live an extraordinary and abundant life, just having enough to pay the bills or just make a living. Because if you look back at your life, that's probably what you've done your whole life. You've probably made just enough to make a living or just enough to pay your bills. And then you wonder at the end of the day, man, why is there never any money left over? And then you come to me and say, I want to live an extraordinary life and I want to earn just enough money to pay my bills. Well, my point is that that's what you've always asked for and that's what you've always gotten. And unless we can come up with something more inspiring and more abundant, that's what you're going to continue to get in your life. And it may help to separate these two things. One thing is your calling, your dharma, your purpose. And then creating wealth and abundance is something completely separate. So it may help you to separate those two things out rather than go, how can I find a way to force my calling into something that produces money, which may feel stressful and may also give you an excuse to not start. 
because you can't see the way. But to my point, instead of you know your goal being to make a living, why not set something more inspiring, something more powerful? You know, I have a belief that the wealthier I become, the better the world gets because I use my money for good purposes. The more wealth that I create, I can reinvest back into my business, which is a business that's designed to help people live an extraordinary lives. So the more money I make, the more extraordinary lives I can create and the better I can become at doing that. I can upskill myself. I can train myself. I can become better as a coach. I give a percentage of all my income to charity. So the more I earn, the more the charity earns. So instead of just aiming to make a living and pay the bills, consider that you know, if you're in your calling, if you're in your dharma and you're on purpose, then the more money that in abundance you can create, the better the world will be because we need more people that are abundant in their calling. So try that on. Try and think if I earned 100,000, if I earned a million, if I earned 5 million a year, you know, what could I create with that? What would I do? What difference could I make in the world if I earned that money? Start getting inspired about creating abundance. Don't be fearful. Don't worry about it being greedy or flip the coin and think, what could I create if I had that wealth? So that's my uh, view on that. And just to wrap it up, how do you find your calling and then make a living from it? So that feels like a big task. That feels like a big task to try and figure all that out. So why not just experiment? Why not go for the next 90 days, I'm going to put an hour a week aside, four hours a week, a day a week aside to try and do something towards my purpose or my calling. So maybe you want to help kids. So maybe you could volunteer at an orphanage for an hour a week and just see how you like it. See if you enjoy working with the kids. Feel that experience of making a difference for somebody outside of you. You know, less self-obsession and more, you know, time spent helping others and see how you like that. So just don't think of it as making this big jump into, you know, your calling. Think of how can I just do a little bit towards it each week and what's that experience like for me and then see where that leads. Thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing that. Thank you for the comment. And I hope that answer helps you out in a little bit, a little some way, a little bit, a bit of something to help you out. So talk to me. How are you guys doing? If you've got any comments for me, if you have any questions, let me know. So the next question is from Joe, and a little bit of a turn away from what we we're just talking about. She said, do you have any travel hacks or lesser known logistical helpful things? So for those of you who don't know, uh, I spent the last year fully nomadic. So I traveled to something like 24 flights and to about 20 different countries. And I lived in lots of different countries all throughout the year. And so Joe is also looking to do this. She wants to live a nomadic life. So she's asking for a couple of little travel hacks and some of the lesser known logistical helpful things. So, Joe, what have I got for you today? Let me you know, let me think. Travel hacks. So I'm a minimalist, so that helps me tremendously when I'm traveling because I just have one bag that has everything in it and I keep it super simple. My goal this year is to go even smaller and travel with just one carry-on bag, see if I can get my whole life into one carry-on, which I feel like is going to be a challenge, but that's something that I want to try and do. And yeah, it just means I, you know, I don't have to get to that airport five hours early. I can kind of show up 30 or 40 minutes before the flight. I'm already checked in online and I can just wander through and get straight on the airplane and that feels good. I stayed in Airbnbs all last year and there's a bit of a secret to Airbnbs where there's a sweet spot to booking an Airbnb, which is about eight to 12 days before you travel. And at that point, you've got your best shot at getting a nice discount on a place because the people are looking at their calendar 
they're thinking, man, it's only a week, week and a half away. I haven't got any bookings. What should I do? And so at about the 10 to 12 day before your trip, Mark, I'll send a message out to 10 or 15 Airbnbs and I'll offer them 50% you know, of what they're asking. And 90% of them will be offended. They'll be pissed off. They'll even ask for it, which is always fun to deal with. Uh, and then one person will say, yes, let's do it. And so on average, I'm staying in really high-end apartments all around the world for about 50% of the, the ticket price. But you have to be willing to, to wait and get a little bit closer to the time to make a punt like that, which I recommend. What else have I got for you? Travel hacks. What are some other cool things? You know, when you get to a place, there's, uh, there's always lots of meetups and, you know, I always use Tinder and Grinder as like places to like meet people when I'm um, in a new place and, you know, use dating apps. You can put on there that you're traveling, you just want to meet friends and you can always meet a ton of cool people wherever you go. There's always, like I say, you can go to meetup.com, get the meetup app and go to a whole bunch of meetups in any city with something that you're interested in. And I've always found that really cool and really, uh, really helpful. So hopefully that helps you, Joe. And Joe also asked, how's dating around the world? And that is a good question because I did a lot of dating around the world last year and it was a lot of fun. And you got to be careful in South America because those Latinos are pretty fiery, I found out. But I like that. But you got to be careful because they... If you, if, you, if you treat them the wrong way or you say the wrong thing, then they're going to get angry at you, get angry to your face. And that can be quite stressful. And I also like it. And that was my first introduction to Latinos, man. That was a lot of fun. That was in Argentina and that was in Costa Rica. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think dating around the world. So when you're dating around the world, you have to think, I'm probably not going to be here long term. I'm probably just uh, looking to have some fun. So I think it's really important that you're really honest about your intentions. So that's one thing I tried to do all year last year was say, hey, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm looking to hang out with cool people in these places that I visit. And I'd love to go on a date with you, but just so you know, I'm not going to be living here. I'm not looking for a relationship. You know, and sometimes that's a difficult thing to say, but I think that it's necessary if you want to stay in integrity and, and honesty with yourself. So, yeah, that's dating around the world. What else did I learn about dating? I don't know, but it's a lot of fun, man. And uh, I wish you the best, Joe, and I hope you'll uh, check in lots when you're traveling full-time around the world. Uh, this question from my friend John Patchett. John is a pilot in New Zealand, and he's a very nice guy, and I like John. And he asks, what's the history of WhatsApp fish and chips? So I'm glad that this came up because... I think John might have been joking around a little bit because this is something that I was doing when I was uh, a pilot in New Zealand. And so the story of this is my brother and I, my brother Jason, who is a man, and he is my brother, and he's a nice guy, and I love him. He came to me and he said, you know, fish and chips in New Zealand, and if you're from uh, not from a British colony, maybe you don't know what fish and chips is, but the key is in the name. We sell fish and we sell chips. Sometimes we sell hot dogs, which is also not like a hot dog in America. It's like a corn dog, but we call it a hot dog and it's delicious. And my brother came to me and he said, uh, you know, the standard of fish and chips in the city is well below average. And being the young, keen entrepreneurial mind that he was, he said, you and I should set up a business 
where we franchise fish and chips in the city. And I said, great, I'm in. So we went to the worst part of town and we bought a fish and chip shop for like (laughs) $20,000. And it was run down and it was dirty and it was yucky. And we learned the trade of fish and chips for about a year. So this was a crazy experience, man, because I was flying airplanes in New Zealand. It was Mount Cook Airline, but for, uh, you know, under the Air New Zealand brand during the day. And then I would change my pilot's uniform and then I would put on a dirty T-shirt and an apron and I would cook fish and chips all night till like 10 o'clock at night with my brother. And this was kind of one of my first forays into entrepreneurship, understanding, you know, like if you did economics at high school, you know, they probably use fish and chips as the example in the economics class of a small business. And so we just learned about customers. We learned about money in, money out, about supply chains, about hiring people and all of that. And it was, uh, it was a crazy lesson in, in business. We decided to franchise, so we got all of our manuals and systems and everything written up, and we rebranded the shop in bright green, black and white signage, and it was called What's Up Primo Fish and Chips. And I drove past that shop two days ago, and it still exists. And we wanted to give people this really New Zealand experience uh, when they came into the shop. So we wanted it to be like a New Zealand holiday home. So we had like weatherboard all around the inside, polished concrete floors. and yeah, we just put lots of little touches on it. We were pretty heavy into branding, you know. And so we created this little uh, this little stir in the corner of the city. And I remember like on our biggest night, we had like five staff on cooking fish and chips full time. And we had a queue. The shop was full. We had a queue going outside down the street. And, you know, that shop was a, a big success in terms of the rebranding. And we planned to just roll these out all around the city and then eventually around the country. And we thought if we could get to four or five, then we would have the supply controlled and we could get the, the efficiencies of size and, you know, things were looking bright. Now, the problem came in December of 2010. I got glandular fever or mono uh, because I was flying all day and I was working all night in the shop and so I was just run down. So I eventually got sick. And that took me out of the game for about three weeks. I had to spend three weeks in bed recovering. And at the same time, my brother came to me and he said, look, he had three little boys all under five years old. And, (laughs) you know, we were working in the shop from like 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night. So he was not spending any time with his boys in the evening and he was really missing that. And so we made a really tough decision to shut that, uh, well, not shut it down, but to sell that one shop that we had and uh, just cut our losses and recuperate and live to fight another day. And so we sold that shop, and the settlement was February 21st, 2011. And the next day, Christchurch had a massive earthquake that killed 186 people and, uh, you know, sent the whole city into chaos to the point that it's still recovering. So that was a crazy stroke of luck. We had this business, we decided to shut it down, and then the next day there was this massive earthquake that would have, you know, been the end of the business anyway. But we managed to get out just in time. 
So that was a crazy experience, having this little business, this fish and chip shop, this uh, this little food business and working a job at the same time. And uh, man, that was like my first rapid education in business because it was so intense and I learned so much from it. And uh, that was the history of What's Up Fish and Chips. As I say, the shop is still there, which is very, very bizarre. Uh, over on Instagram, Amy Hogan asks, what are your plans for 2019? And thank you, Amy, for asking that on Instagram. And it's really about just continuing what I'm doing. So keeping doing this podcast, helping more people create extraordinary lives through one-on-one coaching, through developing our community, through taking people on adventures. And so it's about growing all of those things, becoming a more sustainable business, upskilling myself, and just finding ways to reach more people and share this message. I am going to spend six months in North America in the middle of the year, just uh, hanging out, meeting new people, and probably going to uh, have some people come out and meet me there and go on some adventures. And so that's really exciting. So if you're going to be in North America in the middle of the year, look me up and we can go and hang out. Adam Quiney is a man. And Adam is my friend and he's from a place uh, called Victoria which is in British Columbia, which is in Canada. And Adam happens to be one of my very, very closest friends. And he's an amazing coach. And he's a beautiful man. And he has beautiful tattoos on his arm. And I like Adam. And Adam made a comment. And he said uh, on my Facebook, he said, tell them about Machu Picchu. And that's exciting because Adam and I have decided that we're going to run an adventure together. And this is huge because Adam is one of the top coaches on the planet right now. And so I feel so blessed that I get to run an adventure with him in 2019. I can't believe it, actually. And Adam and I talked, and I said, Adam, what's like the one place in the world that you would love to go on an adventure and take people? And he said, well, I've always wanted to go to Machu Picchu in Peru. And I said, well, gosh darn it, let's do it. Let's take a group of crazy people to Machu Picchu in Peru and let's go on an awesome coaching adventure with them. So I'm excited to announce that Adam and I will be doing that on July the 29th. We'll be spending one week in Peru, and we're going to take a group of incredible leaders, of people that uh, are already you know, creating big lives for themselves, already living extraordinary lives, uh, maybe entrepreneurs, maybe coaches, maybe just uh, senior leaders in their organization with a proven track record of success and everything they do that are really ready to come away for a week with two coaches, have an amazing time, like do a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Machu Picchu, which is going to be incredible just on its own. But it's going to be a time to come out of your day-to-day life, reflect on your own life, your business, the impact that you're having, and really take time to find your blind spots. Take time to be challenged, to look at where you can improve your leadership, where you can step up in lots of different places. And you're going to have one of the top coaches on the planet, Adam Quiney, doing that with you. So it's going to be incredible. So keep looking out for that. Adam and I will be doing uh, some promotion around that. We're going to do some Facebook Lives together. But that's super exciting. We're going to be in Machu Picchu in Peru with a group of leaders from July 29th this year. And I'm absolutely excited and I can't wait to do that. So, yeah, keep an eye out. You can drop me a message or a Facebook message or send me an email, nathan at nathanstewood.com. 
if you're interested in that, if you want more details, we can jump on a call and talk about that. But that's it, and that's that. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, Hi, Claire, on Instagram. Thank you for watching. And if you're listening on the podcast or if you're watching this video later, thank you for tuning in. Feel free to leave a comment. I'll get back to as many of those as I can. And yeah, that's it, guys. Hope you have a fantastic week. I've got some really cool interviews coming up. Uh, Some interviews around personal branding, which I'm really excited about because I think personal branding and, you know, putting yourself out in front of more people is going to be a massive, massive theme for 2019 to be successful and make an impact. So look out for that. That was The Nathan Seward Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life.